I'm Cindy Boxer, and you are listening to the Fiber Artist Podcast, where we chat with artists, makers, and creatives who work with fiber, get to know their stories, how they came upon their fiber practice, and more about the person behind the work. I don't think today's guest needs much introduction. If you've been waiting for a long time or even just a couple weeks, this is an artist, a modern weaving pioneer, if you will, um, who you'll want to know. Marianne Moody. What a special conversation we had. I have to say, I really, really loved it. The honesty and candor, it was just a really great chat and I hope you guys love it. Anyway, this month, uh, we are in July of 2019. We are celebrating all things FiberShare. Do you do FiberShare? Are you paired up and looking for some fiber goodies to send to your partner? Well, just a reminder, I've got a shop, neuromastudio.com, and you can get 15% off all month long. Um, You can order multiple times. The code will still work. It is... uh, What's the code? BFFs forever. BFFs forever and you'll get 15% off this whole month. It's July 2019. Okay. And you can get your partner or yourself some great fibers for macrame or weaving. You will love it. Don't forget, if you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast, feel free to email me at thefiberartistpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks so much, you guys. Here is the incredible Marianne Moody. Hi, Marianne. Marianne Moody. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, hi, Cindy. It's my hi. pleasure. <laughs> it's very exciting for me. I've um, definitely considered you a true pioneer in the modern fiber art movement. So this is really huge. And I think um, my listeners are really going to love hearing your story as well. Um, so yeah, thank you. Um, so I mean, really, I just want to get right into it. And I know you've listened to a couple episodes before, so you know that I really like the, um, I would like the long version of how you came to fiber art. So like, gosh, okay. anyone who knows me knows that I don't know how to keep the story short. So good, you're going to love it. <laughs> well, we have as much time as you want. So <laughs> So go for it. Tell me everything. Like, okay, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What were you like as a child, etc. Sure. Okay. So um, I was born in Melbourne and I'm the youngest of six kids. Oh, wow. um, so growing up, we, you know, didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have, you know, a lot of extra things. And so it would be a bit of a treat to go um, op shopping or charity shopping. And um, I would always go into like the dress up boxes and like the costumey bits and trying to find sparkly bits or really colorful things. And I always loved, um, like looking back now, I loved the things that had been really intricately hand worked on. Mm. So something with lots of embroidery or something with, you know, that had been knitted, but like really worked and overworked or costumes that had been um, changed over time and like hemmed up or a sleeve taken off or, pockets added or a collar added like I loved as I grew up I realized that I really loved uh sort of seeing the story Mm -hmm. of how that garment or how that piece had evolved yeah um and you know being able to go charity shopping meant like I could choose something and and so the things I chose were always really uh yeah really bright colorful shiny over the top um, sort of pieces. Yeah. And Embe- um, like embellished in a way where you, where, where you could see kind of the story of where it came from. Right. Right. That's and you cool. could see like that had been handed down along and that sort of made it even more special. 
mm-hmm. knowing that it had come from somewhere and somebody else had loved it and they'd left their mark on it. And, so, and then the next person had loved it and they'd left their mark on it. Um, and as a child, I uh, sort of, I also had this other side, this really sort of entrepreneurial side where I would, like I always had this little side hustle, mm-hmm. you know, even even in, you know, grade five, grade four, grade five, I would make toffees and I would bring them to school and I would sell the toffees. That's awesome. So, <laughs> you know, and I would work out pretty quickly which, which kind people liked, which kinds didn't sell so well. And so I guess part of that was like reading, reading an audience, reading a clientele, yeah. knowing trying your market. to figure out knowing your market. Um, But as a kid, it was just like, I want to make five cents so that I can buy something. So I've got to figure out what things I can sell. Right. Um, And what were your, what were your parents um, at this point? Were they overseeing you and helping you out with it? No, I was the youngest adult brought me up. (laughs) Yeah. Like seriously, they did no parenting on me. No, like no, you know the way that we parent as a verb right. now. There wasn't there wasn't that kind. It was like you feed them, you hug them, you read them a book, make sure they're alive, make sure they're alive, and that's about it. And they yeah. figured out the more you parent with the older kids, um, it's it's harder work for you and it's harder work for them. There's more rebellion mm. that happens, and then when you sort of have by the time you get to the fifth and sixth kid you start to realize that the less you do the more okay they sort of are they can figure out by watching things and um yeah so there was a lot less there was no no there was no overseeing (laughs) that's actually a great lesson for me right now as a parent I'm like maybe I should just ignore them they'll be fine absolutely and it's like pick your battles because we battle everything especially with our first and yeah. then it just makes them want to push back against us. And I have the same with my first as well. The less that I push him, the easier our relationship is. And, and the more he sort of can guide himself, like flow himself a little bit right. more, he wants to feel in control. Yeah. You know, yeah, and so when I allow true. him to be in control, then, yeah. There's a lot, a lot less easier on battle. everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. Well, we'll get back to that later. Um, but um, <laughs> Right. <laughs> so then um, as a teenager... I, you know, this idea of op shopping and buying secondhand things moved into fashion Mm -hmm. and um, I would always have these outlandish kind of outfits and I would, you know, always be pushing the boundaries of what was possible to wear, like Mm. so on the fine line between a costume and and what you can wear to school. Yes, I love Um, it. Yeah. So again, super colorful, you know, lots of like embellishment and stuff on it. Um, lots of stories in my clothes. And I figured out that in order for me to be able to keep buying clothes, um, I needed to get rid of some. And so I started up a business in towards the end of high school where I started to sell vintage clothes and secondhand clothes. And so they started off just being from my own wardrobe and I would clean them and mend them and iron them and take photos of them just sort of, you know, um, on a coat hanger. Mm -hmm. And then over the next sort of 10 years, I guess, when I was at uni and then when I started to teach, so I studied um, education and I started to teach, um, I still had this vintage clothing uh, business on the mm-hmm. side and so I was still learning about customer service and about trends and following you know what I thought was beautiful and and also right. making sure that my um my clientele was also responding to what I was doing and trying to make it 
be the best that it could be. So, you know, I started to eventually get buyers. I had a buyer in San Francisco, one in London and one in Paris, and they would buy clothes for me wow. and send them over. And so you had a brick and mortar had, shop. No, you, I didn't have a brick and mortar shop. I had okay. an online shop, but then I would do markets. But then I had like models that would come in once a week and they would model the clothes. And so it was like it was a proper a proper job, a proper second right. job. Right. So I was didn't this, like sitting still. Um, was it, What year was this? So this was from uh, like maybe 98. Okay, so right 98. when the internet was starting right. to be used for commerce. Right. Wow, okay. Right. What was the shop called? Uh, it's website? called House of Marianne. Okay. House awesome. of Marianne. And you can still see, and like the, the photos are so beautiful. And every season I would get models in and we'd go out to a park or we'd go to the beach and I would like forecast trends of what would be coming in for the season mm -hmm. and we would do photo shoots and, you know, people could, you know, sort of see what was coming up and then put in orders. Well, if you get this kind of a dress or this kind of a skirt or this kind of a jacket, please let me know. So, um, yeah, I was doing that while I was teaching at the same time. Wow. So it was really the, like a marrying together of – of all of this sort of skills was sort of leading me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, so I loved teaching until I completely burned out. You know, How I got to that point teach? where I'd been teaching. So I taught for uh, almost 12 years. Oh, wow. And, um, and what were you the teaching? last? Well, I was teaching primary school and then I was really, really good at the naughty boys. And so they kept giving me the naughty boys. So I should send my and, kids to you is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I have two of my own. So. <laughs> Do you have two boys? I have two is boys. Two? Oh, wow. So, so you know. We know. Um, I know. I'm completely <laughs> there. Um, but uh, then, yeah, uh, sort of burnt out teaching. I'd, I'd moved yeah. into the art room by that stage because the principal had realized that they'd sort of overworked where I, where I could have been, how much energy I could put out, how much I could put into it. Uh, and she was sort of like, well, your two options either are I can start grooming you for principalship or I can put you into the art room. Mm. And I was like, the art room sounds much more fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so I was in the art room for a few years and then it was still, I sort of started bringing my hours down and I started working four days a week, then three days a week, then two days a week. Um, and eventually I decided, you know, I was in you know, a stable relationship and we were planning on getting married. And I said, well, you know, probably about, we started doing the maths about, you know, biological clock and everything. And if we want right. two kids and we probably right. need to start talking about this. And so we started talking about it and we got pregnant very quickly. Oh, wow. Um, so then it was like, well, this is good. I'm, I'm pregnant. I don't have to work anymore. You know, and in Australia, we are, um, there's this crazy concept called maternity leave. Oh, you guys are just so <laughs> ahead of the times. <laughs> so awful. It blows so my mind. In, in Australia, you can get uh, three months from the government and mm -hmm. your employee employer can give you three months as well. So mm -hmm. you can get six months leave. And then I took that at half pay, which meant that I got a year off. Oh, that's from, awesome. Yeah. Right. And my, because I was working for the government in teaching, they also, they held my job for me for seven years. 
Wow. Seven years. I just recently, they just contacted me and said, we just need to know for sure that you're not coming back because we've been holding this job for you. And I was wow. like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh quite happy gosh. with the life I've created. Absolutely. Uh, so so when, yeah, it, then well, I was, when, did, when did you have your first kid? How old is, how old is he? So he's, he's seven. Okay. He's just oh, about same. to turn seven. Mine too. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I was pregnant with Murray. So this would have, it's like, it's going on almost eight years ago. Mm. And I was cleaning out the storeroom for the new teacher, new art teacher who was coming in. And I found a loom and I was like, all right, I'm going to close down the vintage business. Cause I was still running the vintage business as well as teaching at the same time. Uh, yeah. And I thought, well, I'm going to put that on hold for the moment because it's a lot of physical effort going into there. And you know, customer service as well as actually like wrangling the models and getting the right. shipments and cleaning and sewing and checking over everything to make sure it was perfect. Um, so I just closed that down for a briefly and um, I'd stopped teaching because um, I took a took a little bit of time off before I even um, had Murray because I was right. just like, I, d- I deserve this. I deserve yeah, a bit of time off. For sure. Um, and I'd found this little rigid header loom um, in uh, the storeroom uh, that was going to be thrown out. And um, I actually have it here. Do you want me just to grab yeah, it? Yeah, I'd I can love show to it to it. you. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> when do you think that's from? Does it have a year on it? It doesn't. It's like the 70s. It says, 70s or 80s. Um, yeah, it looks 70s. Yeah, so for those of you who are just listening and are not watching the video, um, Marianne just pulled out this old loom and it's in a oh box God. and the, the branding and the logo all looks very 70s. And it's brown and orange and yeah. white. and Yeah, so I started to um, teach myself uh, how to weave on, on this little rigid head loom. Uh, were are there and, instructions um, in there or how did that was yeah. YouTube? Like, what are YouTube no, videos? This no, is pre, it right? was this. Oh wow! So weaving little, loom, that's what came with the um, weaving loom size three box. pattern book, and pattern it's book. patterns as in like um like fabric, right? Right. Just it was like you could make a scarf plaid, or a, yeah. a dishcloth or yeah. Wow. Um, but I, you know, because I was into vintage fashion, I was also into vintage decor. So, you know, I was buying you know, rugs and cushions and things. And I kept seeing wall hangings coming up, you know, yeah. either in vintage clo- uh, in vintage shops or yeah. in, um, you know, just around. And I was like, I wonder if I could turn this cloth into one of those. Like it seems like they might be like sisters right, to each other. Similar. Yeah. Right. But I couldn't yeah. figure out how to make it happen. So I was doing a lot of interneting and trying to figure out mm. what, what was the relationship between them? Could I do something? Because I really wanted to make vintage textiles, especially mm-hmm. wall hangings. Isn't um, it really interesting though is once you see what weaving is the very first time and then you look around and you it's see everything. that everything is everything. woven. <laughs> everything. Everything Baskets, is woven. clothes, yeah. curtains, absolutely everything, everything is made yeah. by – by joining two things yeah. in that way. And it's through every culture. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went through a bit of a Wild West period where I was just like, 
buying weaving books and 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 I figured out pretty quickly that there was lots of different styles of weaving and there were a lot that I didn't want so big you know for like the big um, the big shaft weavers yeah. yeah floor looms all of that sort of stuff was not what I wanted I didn't want to make fabric I wanted to do sort of artwork right right um and so it was um I was it was basically my only contact with people other than my baby and my husband was um putting the pieces that I was making on social media Mm-hmm. And my social media was basically people who were my friends and my family, and also who used to be customers of House of Marianne. Mm. So th- there were there wasn't a huge jump for them to go from liking vintage clothes right. to liking this sort of vintagey textile thing. Absolutely. So I actually kept a lot of fans from my old business, and then I just changed the name to Marianne Moody very early on. So this was. Yeah, about seven years ago. Okay. Seven and a half years ago. Okay. And this is like right at the start of Instagram, right at the start of when people were weaving. So it was like Brooke Brooke and Lynn Mm -hmm. was her, like that used to be her um, her handle. And um, Janelle. um, Petrasak. Petrasak. Yeah. Yep. Um, And me. And then just like a couple of people like coming in at the fringes, but it was like yeah. that was it. Yeah. Nobody else was nobody else was doing it. Uh, or there were there were people doing it in different styles, but we right. were sort of doing a similar type of style. Right. Um, so were so you? Then, um, did, had you already started an Instagram account for House of Marianne? Yes. And then you just and then you just left that one. Yeah. But it was this time where I could like share what I was doing and my, the people who were following me, I was getting this really great feedback of like, wow, I can't believe you made this thing. Yeah. And, you know, I was feeling more proud about making like the comments and the conversations I was having about making weaving woven things than I was like about the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because because you can, you had Anyone the baby, can you made the baby. the baby, but you know, you didn't really do that much except for like it's eat. Right. Yeah. It's right. <laughs> and push it out or whatever. Yeah. It's right. It's right. I didn't physically actually like make my hands and like mm-hmm. put it together and like well, I'll choose these eyes. Yeah. And people are, people say like, oh, motherhood should be so fulfilling. But I think this happens often yeah. is what right. is when we have our kids we seek much greater fulfillment because like, we're like, this is not it. This is not all of it. I mean, I love my kids, but you know, yeah, there has to be something for yourself Mothering sucks. (laughs) It's really hard. It's true. Yeah. Actually, like there's a big difference between loving your children and loving the work of being being a a mother. Yeah. 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 Because it's not a fun job at all. It's not. No, it's Um, not. It's a grind. And I'm, and I'm like completely honest about that. I have a lot of conversations with people about, you know, I'm parenting so and, and relieved that you're so yeah. open about it because I think people, oh my God, so many people like, you know, I, they try to act right. and we all try to pretend that like, oh, it's so great and motherhood is beautiful. And it is, it is on right. one level, but on and for some the everyday people, level, it's just right. a grind. Yeah. It's hard and it's boring. And it's and not it's, fulfilling. Like it's because it's thankless. <laughs> it's totally thankless. Oh yeah. I know. I know. I'm trying to get my boys to be more grateful and like I'm like, constantly trying to get them to notice things and we do a, a lot of um 
I, oh, I really appreciate you. Yeah. Like just any time they like, oh, wow, I really appreciate you hanging your coat on the hook. Like I really like <laughs> these tiny little things. Anything, I know. Like uh, I'll make, you know, a meal or whatever. And it's right. always met with, my kids are really picky eaters. And so I'll try right. something new and they're like, oh, I'm not eating this. I'm like, fine. Now, right. now I go, fine. Yeah, that's I okay. Worked, I work very hard to make it, but you're not eating and anything I, then. <laughs> and I say to them, um, would you like it if you worked really hard on an art project and you brought it home from school, would you like it if you showed it to me and I said, ew, I don't like it. And they're like, oh, I wouldn't like that. Yeah, such a good <laughs> like, point. Okay, I'm totally that's using how it. I feel. I'm yeah, totally do it. it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, they're impossible. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I was getting this like great feedback and feeling appreciated by yeah. putting my work online. And so I wanted to do it more. And so somebody who's, um, their mum was a weaver, one of my friends who, um, now you can, um, Genevieve, um, Griffiths, who I think is down as Gene- Genevieve Jade, maybe as a weaver. Okay. She does these really, uh, she's an architect. She does these really architectural kind of weaves. Um, she used to be in New Zealand and now she's in Tasmania. Okay. She's one of my really good friends. Um, and she, her, um, like I feel like maybe her mother was into weaving or some relative or something. And basically she had said, made a comment on my um, uh, Instagram, um, you should try Raya knots. And it was like, um. ah. <laughs> and I went to, went to um, Google and I typed in Raya knots and suddenly it was like, oh, this is how you turn wall turn um fabric into uh-huh. wall hangings yep. there was a little bit more information on there and some of it was quite you know heavy going a lot of text-based sort of stuff mm-hmm. but I you know I, w- I was like thank god this is what I've been waiting for I've been looking yeah. for something that can get me to this place right right and so there was a lot of um like just trialing weird things and doing trying to do something backwards and doing it inside out and doing it upside down and what would it look like if I did this and uh, a lot of just like learning making a lot of mistakes Mm -hmm. um, both like in weaving and like in the social community as well like when you're Mm -hmm. first trying to start up a business you have to just go for it you know and sometimes you don't know uh, the right way to do something or you know, and you're just like, well, I just have to have a go and then I'll figure it out afterwards. Yeah. It's more important to to be able to, you know, have done it and learned and then figure out the right, right way right. than to be yeah. too scared to do anything at all. Right. So um, I pretty quickly started to have people ask if they could buy the pieces that I was making because – I already had this group of people who were following me because of House of Marianne Mm -hmm. and they were used to buying off my Instagram. So they automatically assumed that they would be for sale. And my husband said, no, you have one year where you already have money coming in. You should use this year to just work on your practice, figure out how to make something really beautiful so that when you're ready to sell, if you ever get ready to sell, um, then it what you're actually selling is of a really high standard. Don't right. sell your your practice pieces. How and did so I, he come to uh, what What is his background? Because this is a really um, a really important part of yeah. being a maker and a business and an artist. Right. And almost everybody 
doesn't do it. Is he? They start what is selling his background? Like, how did, how did he have that? dollars, and that yeah, makes yeah, me yeah, cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, feel like he's I get a designer it. and whatever. Okay, so he sort yeah. of has an understanding of right. Okay, right. And an I mean, what a really great piece of advice. He's amazing. Yeah. He's like a couple of the really big points of my success have come through discussions with him about what should I do now? How should I respond to this? And right. he's been so instrumental and awesome. That's- Um, yeah. So I spent a year and also like, I'm super privileged. I'm in Australia. I have, we have maternity leave. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the people who are starting out weaving, they need a second income. They, or they need a first income. They need to buy cereal. They need to pay a doctor's bill. And so they're doing it because they need the money right now. And so it pushes them into this area it's desperate it's it's, a part desperation exactly you know, and, and exactly there's too much and it's hard need. yeah yeah so they haven't built up their um clientele yet mm-hmm. they haven't built up an awareness yet or their and style so just, and their their voice right you know? yeah. right right and so they're trying to put something on in, on Instagram where now it's already flooded and e, um, Etsy where now it's already flooded and they're mm-hmm. upset when it's not selling for $25 Whereas right. their, their time is worth more than that. The, the yeah. materials are worth more than that. Um, but they just don't have that uh, luxury of of being able to, you know, de- um, dedicate the time right. beforehand. So I had a year where I was just working on it and I was sharing my process um, because there was nothing really out there. I was just showing, like taking photos of mid-piece mm-hmm. as I was doing that. I was showing my tools. So people who were interested could, like, comment and ask me and, um, because the way that I had, you know, people had been so um, lovely and giving and gifting uh, on the internet, like some older ladies who had been mm-hmm. doing that was hostile weaving, that it made me realise that I don't own any of these skills. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really fortunate that I get to use them, but um, I, I never felt ownership of anything like, um, you know, of like this is going over, under, over, under, it's, it's everywhere. Right, so I'm right. not the kind of person who's going to be chasing people down saying, that's mine. That's my technique, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's none of it is. And also because I was I was a teacher as well. Right. Um, so when I was coming up towards a year, um, I decided, all right, well, I'm going to have a go at making a piece specifically for somebody, like going through the commission process. Mm-hmm. And I went to my three of my friends who had outward-facing businesses. So one of them was a fashion designer with her own shop. Uh, one of them had a cafe and one of them had a florist, was mm. a florist. Mm-hmm. So I went to them separately and I said, listen, I'd love to make a piece for your business. So it was going to be hanging in their shop rather than hanging mm. at home. Um, and I went through like, you know, what flowers will be coming in, what colours will be in next season or what colour will be in the new collection and what sort of shapes and um, and I made them each a piece and the size, and I was like, I'm going to make this for you for free, but it's going to hang in your shop. Yeah. And um, yeah, I had some um, little cards made up so that I could just leave them, and I was like, you know, just I'll just leave this here. It's not going to be any, any extra work for you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something beautiful that's hanging in here that you're going to love. Um, but, you know, if anyone comes in, then, like, you know, it's there. Yeah. And um, there's Was there an any Australian... resistance? I hope not. No. No, they were all like, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Like, we'd love this. <laughs> We've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's a blog in Australia called The Design Files mm-hmm. and it's I our know. biggest design 
blog. Um, and she had basically walked into my friend's florist and had seen my piece hanging there and picked up the card and emailed me and said, wow. you know, we'd like to do a piece on you. Uh, we'll come to your studio, right. <laughs> which is, you know, the room. Yeah, room the <laughs> your living room. House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I sort of like cleaned it all up and put some styled, styled it nicely and um, had to go to my friends and get back the pieces that I'd gifted them because I didn't even have anything um, on the walls to hang. I'd only, like I hadn't sold anything by that stage. Mm. And um, they came and they took some photos and they did some interviewing and um, then at the end they said, so how much, um, how much are you selling your pieces for? And I said, well, I don't know how much do, am I selling them for? Like you're in the design business and you know mm. art and how much does these do these pieces go for and they said well probably 350 dollars for like you know this sort of size mm -hmm. and I was like awesome that's how much they cost now yeah <laughs> because before I would have had I probably would have said maybe 110 yeah you know or and let somebody talk me down to 75 maybe just because you know I loved it so much and it was yeah. more just you know self-care and I love but not actually realizing that that's how you burn yourself out as well right. yeah by not being exactly. paid what you're worth and so because I'd given myself that year to perfect it and to grow my community when I was ready to sell it and people like that came on the design files and people started emailing me straight away and they were like how much of it is a piece and I said $350 and they were ready and willing to pay right. that Right. Because I'd done all the work beforehand. I so I've never so... had to sell my pieces for less than that. Right. And it was so, what a good, like, what a smart move on your part to not pretend like you'd already figured it out and then you ask them, right. how, like, did that just come to you uh, by instinct? Well, to, like, it, it was weird that you weren't, a sh you were not, um, I don't know, you weren't scared to yeah. show that you didn't know. Right. No, well, I think probably being a teacher also, mm. like you're constantly learning, you're constantly yeah. teaching, you're constantly learning. And we, our big thing in teaching is we don't know everything. Right. And right. also there's this whole thing, like that whole idea of like imposter syndrome, the way you don't get imposter syndrome is by telling people, I don't know. Right. I'm just having a go. I'm just out here trying and I'm not saying I'm this and I'm not saying I'm that. Yeah. I'm saying I'm having a go at something and that way people feel more comfortable like giving you advice and, and helping you out and asking you questions when you don't feel like, when you don't put out an image like you know it all. Right. Because look I at guess. how much you, you could have like shot yourself in the foot by saying, oh, yeah, $150, right? right? right. And then just showing right. something and then putting out the vulner vulnerability, just saying, I don't know right. how much would you buy it for, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's awesome. I think it's like such a good lesson. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Yeah. But that was also at a time when, yeah, like it was that, you know, there was no algorithm on um, Instagram. And so right. as my following started growing, I could actually respond to people while I was online where, and they'd be like, oh, I'm in Japan and it's morning time and or I'm in New York and it's evening yeah. time and we could like have a bit of a chat and it was so great. So I that started. Days. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it was around that time that um, Aaron got a job with Etsy so he's a designer, oh, but he likes programming. To right. 
Oh my God. Right. Okay. Putting it together. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he got a job with Etsy. He actually got it while I was still pregnant with Murray. But okay. because I had had, like Murray was the 12th grandchild for my family and the first grandchild for Aaron's family. And it sort of felt like we didn't want to run away and take the first maybe three, four, five, who knew how long we were going to be away, yeah. years away. Like we wanted at least the grandparents and our aunties and the aunties and uncles to sort of see them a little, see him a little bit before we took him away. And so he, Aaron worked remote for the first year okay. um, and we stayed in Australia. And then it was sort of like, well, I mean, it's New York. Mm-hmm. They're, they're saying they're going to help us move to New York and he's not in school and we've got no yeah. ties, you know, other than our family. We didn't own our own home. We were just like, let's just go. Let's yeah. do it. Um, and it was like at the time it was sort of felt a little bit like, I think I actually said it to Aaron, but I was like, well, we're doing this for you and your career and at some point we'll do something for me and my career. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Brooklyn and it was became pretty evident pretty quickly that it was also really good for my career right, and right. for growing my business. It was sort of that beginning of the makers movement and, you know, being a, an Australian weaver in yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah. Just and how serendipitous you know, that he got a job at Etsy. I mean, yeah, let's not I know. forget that. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't I know like, that they ever did you? anything to overtly like help your career, but like that's, there's a good connection there. Right. You know? It made yeah. sense. And it was a little bit like, um, what, why are you getting the job at Etsy? I should get the job right. at Etsy. I'm the creative one. <laughs> right, and I'd exactly. already been selling through Etsy with House of Marianne. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'd, okay. I'd had an Etsy account for, you know, 10 years already. Um, so yeah, oh, maybe not like, yeah, some years before that. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, I, um, got to Brooklyn and, um, and, and Murray is one years old at this point, one and a half. Yeah, he was one years old. Oh, but something that happened before that was, um, in Australia was there's a lady named Megan Morton and she runs something called The School. And this was just at the beginning of like craft workshops, Mm -hmm. being able to do a weekend three-hour workshop. Mm -hmm. And she has this, oh, she's the most elegant woman, super star. She's a stylist and she had this beautiful space and she would get modern makers to come in and do her, teach in her space. Mm -hmm. And she made like the workshops felt like a a, a holiday, a vacation. Mm. You'd go in and she'd have fresh flowers and some champagne and delicious food and the space would be full of natural light and and it felt like this new way of teaching. She introduced me mm. to not just like get them in, give them as much information as possible, support them in their learning and then let them go. It, she showed me how to make education, turn it into something that would make people feel emotions mm. and feel like they're being uh, cared for. You know, in our lives, we're going through so much. And then to actually have somebody there saying, you don't have to worry about anything for the next three hours. Right. It's like, like a retreat. put your phone away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Spa retreat so she, in, a, in, a, in some sense. Yeah. Right. Right. And so she taught me how to, how to, and she, and she made me want to start teaching again mm-hmm. as well. Um, so then I started to do workshops in Melbourne. And then when I got to the US, I started to do my own workshops over there. 
Um, and then slowly the, the business started, you know, people sort of would ask, can I just buy the kit from the workshop? I can't come in person. Can I just buy the loom and the yarn and the little booklet and stuff? And so I started to produce those and found a loom maker who could make specific looms to the way that I, my requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was like I was making my artwork and I had the kits and then um, I got my own studio space at Industry City and it was this big, beautiful white box with lovely big windows and I had, you know, three or four girls working for me over there. Um, and then uh, Abrams Publishing contacted me and said, well, weaving is pretty cool and we want you to write the book. Um, come, you know, we want you here's, – here's the sort of book that we want you to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote the book and then people were sort of asking for online classes and Aaron is because he's a designer who likes to program. He was like, this is, you know, people are asking for this. You do it once and it sits there and it's, you know, this really great way for people to be able to access you anytime. Um, so I've sort of, you know, got my three online classes that, you know, are just sort of sitting there available to people. Um, yeah, and then we were in Brooklyn for uh, three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we decided, uh, you know, Etsy had sort of grown from something like, you know, under a, you know, maybe like three or 400 people to more like 4,000 people. Yeah. Like it just. Yeah, really exploded. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the same place for him to be working. And, and, and our house, you know, our, we'd gone from having one tiny little one-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. that you could carry in your pouch to having like a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Right. And it was like – Were you living in Brooklyn? Not, we were, yeah, okay. in Park Slope. Okay. Um, on like a four-story walk up. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had big elephant boys running around making lots of noise and we sort of decided we can either – Aaron would need to get a new job and we'd probably need to move apartments if we wanted to stay for an extra three years – or we could move home. And um, we just sort of, it felt by that stage that the city was sort of, we were sort of a bit done, mm-hmm. you know. We were there for our careers and we would both sort of felt like we'd really moved to a really great position and we could comfortably go home. And we also wanted our boys to grow up with an Australian identity, mm-hmm. actually feeling Aussie. And so we thought, you know, it's probably important for them to go to school in Australia. Uh, and so we came home uh, and it was so great. It was just like we didn't realise we'd been running around like this and then yeah. uh, like. <sighs> it's amazing, isn't it, when you leave this, <sighs> leave this city? Had you been going back and forth a little bit during that time or did you were you mostly just in Brooklyn? I'd been, yeah, yeah. We'd been going back and forth but it was mostly in Brooklyn. Okay. And, um, but I'd been touring around a lot, teaching, in, teaching and travelling and um, then promoting my book and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was it was a lot of extra stuff. Um, and then being home, we'd have, like, the support of our family and also, you know, just all the things that come with being at home, actually knowing the rules and, like, which rules you're allowed to bend and which rules you're allowed to break and which ones are, like, no. Whereas in America, being on a visa, you can't break any rules. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's no rule. Like, you just have to be very, very good. Right. All the time, right. and that's not my personality. <laughs> so, um, 
yeah, it was nice to be able to come home and like break a few rules. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I've never even considered that, that like the, that feeling of always kind of having to watch your back being on a work right. visa. I had, I didn't, right. yeah, it's never crossed my mind. Right. Wow. And there's a lot of complicated American. Like, can like, you even you, get a you, misdemeanor? Like if you're caught smoking pot we or didn't. something. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> we just were very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably so boring <laughs> it was that's why it was so great coming home yeah um yeah and then we came home and um my uh I went to see an accountant here and they were sort of they sort of said listen you need to um split your business so if you're going to have people working in the American studio whatever that they make has to stay in America and whatever you make in Australia needs to stay in Australia you can't be um putting money back and forth to, so I couldn't oh. make money in Australia and then pay their wages and then pay the rent. And that's what that came up pretty quickly that um, the girls weren't able to make enough to pay their own wages and pay the rent and the studio. So it was really sad because they were like my fiber family, but yeah. um, basically wherever I was, was where the money was being made. Right. And so, Wait, so you, had shut studio, down. you had studio assistants at that time when you were yes. in Brooklyn. Okay. Yep. Yeah, um, there was like four girls working for me, oh, wow. and I was the best boss. I, I, like- I was, I was going to ask you all about this actually, because um, the whole thing about being being a boss. I mean, what yeah. like I imagine you'd be a, an awesome boss. It was so good. Did it just come because, because like, learned- does it come naturally to you? Um, I think I'd done a lot of um, leadership work through teaching. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of relationship stuff there and also like reviews and that sort of stuff being able, but also learning from Aaron um, the way that Etsy treated their staff. Mm-hmm. I picked up a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of like the working from home and, and actually being super fl- flexible and, you right. know, as long as you get this work done, I trust you and um, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, so important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just about like how would you like to be treated as a worker and what yeah. would work for you and then you end up with people who, you know, work well in that situation. Right. And you don't um, find it hard to um, to trust people, to trust them to do I was probably over-trusting. Oh, but yeah. like I had, I had, you know, um, Kaylin, my office manager, you know, she was, you know, from Michigan and hey, she's just like <laughs> sweetest, sweetest person. Um, you know, we just got along really well, like right from the beginning. And um, and then Blair is from um, either North Carolina or South Carolina, but she's mm. like, you know, she has that, that little bit of a southern side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I had like a, there was a few other people who sort of came and went. And so the girls who, and they were all textile, they just were there for the love of textiles. Oh, that's great. You know, and so it felt like it came up pretty quickly. If somebody wasn't gelling properly with us or maybe taking advantage a little bit, it, it was pretty mm-hmm. obvious pretty quickly mm-hmm. whether somebody wasn't working, you know, the way we were working. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we closed that down and then, um, Last year, I pretty much took a year off other than anything making art because Murray started school and it was a really hard year. Mm. He was in the principal's office a lot. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I was being called a lot and it sort of felt like I couldn't be away 
very far from him. I needed to be a lot more supportive and there emotionally as well as physically. And so I didn't travel at all last year. I didn't really teach classes last year. I just made art because that was the thing that was um, filling, filling my cup up. Mm-hmm. so that I could give it back to him. And it was also helping me work through my own emotions. And so last year was all about the art. Um, and also I turned 40 last year. So that was another Woo-hoo! big transition. Big yeah. I'm turning 40 and- next week. <laughs> oh, tomorrow's my birthday, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> well, actually, no, my, my, mine's Saturday. But, oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. So you're the 22nd? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 20. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I am already sensing a lot of similarities, which is so funny. But anyway, <laughs> happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to you Thanks. too, Gemini. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, and then like this year he's really – he's in grade one this year and he's really a lot more settled. He's got friends and uh, he's getting – he's actually like doing a lot more learning and doing a that's lot good. less – running away from the classroom right it's um, hard it's really yeah. hard for boys I yeah. think, especially yeah i hate to gender them or whatever but it's true they yeah. really need to run well, more yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and so this year i've just been able to like i just finished my u.s tour mm-hmm. um and i think i can travel I've, i talked to aaron about it and he was like and i also taught in laos this year with oh, wow. ace camps so Aaron sort of said, you know, if you go away three times a year for a couple of weeks, like that seems like doable, yeah, you know, and that's sort it. of really, yeah, because I spend a lot of my time in my studio making art and, and, and so to be able to actually go out and like that teaching side is still mm-hmm. really important to me mm-hmm. um, to be able to go and, and actually be in a room full of people who want to talk about weaving and that really does um give something back to me so right. do um, you think yeah. your your year of um of sort of going inward and being at home and working on your art do you feel like it did something for you did it oh, work totally. for you or against you <laughs> oh my god well the thing is I knew that's what I needed to do mm-hmm. and so for me my art was at this point where I could actually still sustain myself and I could still pay for my childcare with my younger child. I could still pay the rent on my studio and still add a little bit more into our family mm-hmm. income as well um, by doing my art. Um, and now that I'm like back, mm-hmm. um, more or less, um, now I've found, you know, I've by, by doing my US tour, I um, I've had another meeting with my book publisher and they're like, right, we're ready for your second book. Um, Yeah, which is great. Um, And also like Madewell, uh, I made a a big piece for one of their stores in the Navy Yard and they've just uh, just signed a contract to make another 30 pieces for the decor in their shops. And Oh, my God. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. It's huge. But it sort of feels like taking that year off, I'm glad that like the world waited for me, like people who were ready. You know, I had a lot of emails that I just like ignored and pushed to the side because I was like, I can't even have that conversation right now. I can't speak at that event. I can't, whatever the things were, I just Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. And it feels like taking a year off, it could have been a danger and it could have, yeah, it could have been like, well, everything, nobody's into weaving anymore and now it's just. (laughs) It's me even- and I'll grow old doing <laughs> isn't it interesting though like um yeah I'm mean, gonna year off feels like a long time yeah and when you came back to it doesn't it feel like it only got bigger right 
Right. And I feel the same with vintage. When I was selling vintage, people constantly said to me, well, that's not going to last. Right. Like vintage fashion is not something like it it was in the 90s and the early 2000s. And people were like, well, that's not going to last. But it was like, yeah, it is. Because now people are into the 80s and they're into the 90s. And then like it moves with it and there's different styles that you can do. And with my weaving, I feel like I'm constantly pushing myself. I don't have like one key style, signature style, and I'm constantly pushing myself to see what else I can do. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that brings a newness to what I do. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Did you feel like you had like creative breakthroughs during your year off? I call it your year off. It's not really off. Yeah. Just you were quieter. Yeah. So I was doing, if you look back through my work over that year, I was doing a lot of like archways, doors, Mm. windows, portals, Mm -hmm. Uh, like there was a lot of openings that I was weaving and I didn't know what it was, but I knew I needed to weave them because this is the motif that kept coming up, um, while I was sketching, uh, bridges, tunnels, it was like movement. And I think it was a real transition time for me, for my family, um, you know, that I was on one side and then I moved through to the other side. And for a long time, I just didn't know what would be on the other side. And then I feel like, you know, once you turn 40, you, you know, you, you have this moment of I've carried around all this stuff with me for 40 years, putting more and more expectations on myself, mm-hmm. um, more and more ideas about who I am and what I like and what I don't like. And I turned 40 and I had this year of weaving things and sort of reflecting and coming to the other side, I had this lightness where I could choose what I wanted to be and what mm-hmm. I wanted to take with me. It was this point of transition about I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to carry that around anymore. And actually yeah. like figuring out the things that kept taking up my per- my emotional space and my head space and actually like going to those people and saying, listen, 10 years ago I forgot to give you a wedding present like and giving them the wedding present yeah. and now I don't think about that anymore. It was 10 years of carrying that around right. and like having conversations with people or even with myself so that I could put things to rest meant that I was more open and I could choose what I was going to fill myself up with rather than, yeah. you know, what was already there. Wow, it's really, really wonderful and such a good yeah. reminder to like take some time and be quiet for a while you know, because right. you never know what's going to come up. I'm sure you didn't go into it thinking, oh, no. I'm going to do this in order to reach this goal of self-discovery. No. It's more like the no. world forces you yes, for whatever situation into into a situation, mm-hmm. you know, and then you discover right. what's there waiting for you at the other right. end. <laughs> right. Um, and it was that. And it was also like it was a lot of weaving. It was also like Aaron and I both did therapy last year to help mm-hmm. us with our family and with yeah. Murray and all the things that we're going through. And so we were able to have conversations at home, conversations with our therapists and conversations with my loom mm-hmm. that all helped to bring me to this point of understanding about where I was and what I could be and how in control I could be right. uh, of my thoughts and my processes and my future. Wow. So wonderful. It's like great to have you back. <laughs> but um all right, so can we talk oh, God, so cool. Um I feel like I need to like sit and soak in it for, <laughs> for a minute. Yeah. It's um, okay. You can listen to it again later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so we in in this next chapter of Marianne Moody Studio, um do you, have you hired 
are you back to having studio assistants and people working with you? I'm not. You're not. So you're, so what's I'm not. So let's talk about this Madewell commission. <laughs> how right. are you going to do 30 weavings in how long? How what's your deadline? So what they're saying is um, they will order them in blocks of 10 mm-hmm. and they'll pay up front for 10 and then I make the 10 and then I send them in um, and then they order the next 10 just so that it doesn't feel like it's a long time and how yes. am I going to figure out the timeline and stuff. Um, oh, that's great. So at this point, I, so I'm working three days a week in my studio. So Rudy, my four-year-old, has childcare three days a week, three full mm-hmm. days. So when I get into my studio, I am like, I don't even stop to eat lunch. Like I'm at the loom weaving, 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 weaving. Mm-hmm. And then I stop and I like grab my sandwich and I stand back and I eat my eat while yeah. I'm looking at the work. And then I'm like, right, I'm done. Weave, 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 right. weave. So it's like, I don't even take a lunch break. It's it's just it's go proper time. weaving. Yeah. Right. And so when I made the first piece for Madewell, it was bigger and more complicated. And that took, I could finish a piece in three days, a big piece. So the new God, style that's is. That's so fast though. Right. I mean, like weaving but for it's... me is, I'm such a slow weaver, which is why I right. switched to macrame because I'm way faster at that. Right. But, um, oh my God, that is so fast. Right. Because I saw that piece, so, you posted it. Beautiful, yeah. by the way. Like it's so yeah, gorgeous. Thank you. Um, so that would be like weaving from nine until four thirty for three full days okay. to make that piece. So the new piece is slightly smaller and it's um, less complicated, less okay. layers of fringe. Okay. Um, and I feel like I could do one almost one a day, maybe one in a day and a half. So either two a week or three a week. Okay. So I'm going to start next week and I'm going to start to figure out how long. It's going to take me. And I think they're quite – there's only one – there's one piece that with a store that's opening on the 22nd of August and that, like, has to be there. But the rest of them are updating the decor that's already in. So it's not like it's an urgency. Right. Um, But, you know, the quicker I can weave – and basically what I said to them was this is is the price of what I can weave Mm -hmm. for this style. And, of course, you know, people – big companies and things are always going to say, well, can you do it for any less? Right. And what I said to them is, you know, this is, if you want this to be good quality and you want attention to detail, then this is the price. Like I love Madewell. I love the clothes. I love the style. And I would hope that you would appreciate me as an artist and pay me what I'm worth. And they Mm -hmm. were like, we do. Yes. Okay. Great. That's what it's worth. Yeah. Um, and so I felt, you know, really supported by them. When I was in New York, I was allowed to go into one of their shops and choose like a whole range of outfits. That, oh, that's awesome. yes. Yeah, so that they were like, <laughs> you know, here's some clothes. If you want, you can wear them while you're weaving and, you know, you can sort of like take some photos because the clothes are very much the same colours of that yes, weave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love their clothes. They've got, I've, they have great jeans and, yeah, and uh, right. have booties, <laughs> booties from them. Yeah, they're awesome. Right. So the the next ten are they all will they all be of similar design? Yes. Okay. Yep. They're all the same. Um so yeah, at this point I'm thinking I can do it on my own. Mm-hmm. I've got friends who are, you know, fine artists who have pieces in galleries and who have um uh, assistants who they sort of do the design and they mm-hmm. might start it out and then they have assistants come in and 
and just like follow the pattern. Right. So I think for me, I have to figure out whether that's going to be worth my while to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a train te- as well, right? Right. Yeah. But as a teacher, I already have trained. That's true. So mm-hmm. um, I did a piece of uh, last year called the Wool House at Westfield Shopping Centre. It was like a massive woolen. Uh, it was a, a steel frame. Oh, I, saw, I saw it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I had five people who were my ex students come along and just weave it all up in one evening with me. Um, and so I feel like I have, if I decide to go down that path, I have people who are ready and willing and able to assist me. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has to be whether that's you know, and, and, you know, making sure that at, the, at that point I've got to be high on quality control and making sure that they are hitting the right marks of where mm-hmm. I expect things to be. Right. Um, so I guess it's sort of like there is a little bit of a leeway in there. When I did the commissions for the Soho House, it was like they have to be here on this date. Yeah. And so there was no flexibility. I just had to get it done. And, um yeah, I guess like because at this point Rudy's in childcare three days a week, I can also put him in for an extra day if I need to here or there if I needed right. to speed things up. Um, but, yeah, like yeah. I guess it, it's a little bit like, well, let's just figure that out. Yeah. And then as I'm working on that, on those commissions, I'll also start the process of my second book, putting in the proposal, putting right. in like the projects, and um, and they are also super supportive. Like that first book was crazy successful it's yeah. had five reprints yeah oh my it's been God. translated wow. into four different languages oh that's amazing and so they're just like listen like our our company is they're just waiting for you yeah to yeah. write the next book like yeah. you've made them so much money that they are they're just waiting yeah. whatever so you want to do what do you have planned for it do you know yet or are you just is it kind of percolating yeah, well, there was a couple of ideas. One of the ideas, which I don't think I'm going to follow, was um, uh, sheep to loom, mm-hmm. basically following the story of yarn and uh, like, may, like, or from the animal. So it might be like, you know, bunnies or, you know, wool or um, basically going to somebody who has a farm or a breeder and talking to them and then finding a, a, um, a spinner. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to a spinner and getting some ideas about that and then mm-hmm. maybe a, a dyer. Yeah. Right. And then different types of fiber artists, um, which I like that. I would like to buy that book if anybody's interested in <laughs> writing that book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like I think we're just sort of like figuring it out right now, but it will okay. definitely have more um, advanced like patterns like in it, yeah. which I – Right, because in my first one, it was a lot more inspirational and trying to get people off wall hangings and trying to think about weaving, how weaving could be in different parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think so, some of my more hardcore fans were disappointed that it wasn't more um, challenging. Mm. Um, and so I guess that's why it's been so successful is because it was uh, available to everybody. Right. But the Very new intro. book – Right, yeah. right, but that's you know having my fans sort of say we expect more of you. We know this, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you already taught us this. Um, was uh, yeah, like it was something that I brought up with my publishers that I'm like I'm always very 
uh, attuned to my followers and I'm always listening to what they want and because I wouldn't have this life if it wasn't for them. Right. Um, and I'm, yeah, very aware that, you know, in my next book I want to make sure that I include a lot more advanced um, projects that, right. you know, give them what they want. Yeah. Give the people well, what they want. Well, you started teaching a fiber sculpture class. Was that new for yeah. this tour? Had you taught it before? So I've got an online fiber sculpture course. Okay. The reason I started doing that is because when I started to add things like pom-poms and tassels onto my weaves, I realized that I could bring my weaves further out from the wall. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would make things um, and attach them onto my weaves uh, so that's really where it started. And then from there I realised that I could teach this separate thing where people maybe didn't have a loom or didn't ha- need all of that extra stuff. Um, and it could be a, quite a simple class where people could just make these standalone sort of things or they right. could also be an extension. So it just sort of felt like this, like a nice sort of side path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the people, you know, as I'm doing this class, it's quite open-ended and I'm watching what people are making and I'm just being constantly inspired. Oh, that's um, so I'm always like, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to make up that as an example for my yeah. next class so other people can be inspired and, you know, keep sharing the love. Um, so, yeah, I'll definitely have some more fiber, fiber sculpture that's in, in there as well. Cool. Um, so what, is my, what did I want to ask you? Um, what do you find? Oh, I know what I was going to ask. So for a project like Madewell, when you're doing all of these pieces, or even before mm. this, before this, have you experienced burnout? And what do you do about it if you have? Or how do you I avoid think, it? Yeah, the burnout that I had was in teaching because I was not in oh. control. And then the burnout that I had after that was when I had like four girls working for me in the studio and I had to pay bills Mm. and I had to like basically we had to sell more retail in order to pay their wages. Right. And it was like, and then you have to do more hours. Because then you just become more of a business person than an an artist. And I feel like when you get pulled out of that, that's one of the hardest things. Yeah, I mean. Right. And that was. So that was you sort like, of feel like you, you have know, to make a choice, right? Like businesswoman right. or artist, you know? Right. And it was sort of financial burnout and emotional burnout and energetic burnout. And so closing the studio was really hard, um, but it was the best thing because now I'm totally in control of my day, my destiny, what projects I take on. Right. As long as I'm paying the rent on my studio and the childcare for Rudy when he's not with me, Anything else doesn't matter. Mm. And so I can push myself as much or as little as I want to make sure it's fulfilling for me and it's keeping me happy, but I also have enough energy to give back to those around me and my family. And so right now, like having that year off is that's that was really important for me for for you know having burnt like basically burnt out and then being able to fill myself back up and grow myself so that when I was ready to sort of introduce those other parts back in the teaching and the retail um it sort of like felt like I was ready you know and I'd sort of built myself back up so now I'm doing more appearances and mm-hmm. you know interviews and things and I'm I'm feeling like I can actually be more make myself more available 
And then, you know, it's like the more you do, the more opportunities open. Right. Yeah. You put yourself out there a little bit more. Do you, right. on, on that note, do you still feel like you need to market yourself at all? Or does it, are most, most, it seems like things just come to you and you right. just need to respond and say no more than anything else. Right. So at the beginning, when I first moved to America, I did a lot of sort of subtle marketing I guess I had people who I followed who I really loved on Instagram and I would just send them like I'd send them an email and say hey can I send you a piece like no um I'm not expecting anything back I just really love what you do and you know if you like what I do I'd love to make you a piece and so I'd make them a piece and then they would you know first of all when you're making your pieces you only have like maybe two walls in your house where you can take photos and so it starts to look the same even though the pieces are different Mm-hmm. And so by sending your pieces out into the world, you suddenly get somebody who, you know, if you like their style, then you get your piece in their house with their photography skills, yeah. with their styling skills. And so first of all, you have that, that's already a gift back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then if they decide to share it on their Instagram, then you're sort of cross-promoting and sharing communities. So their community starts to align you with them. And if they already like them, then they're like, oh, I might go and check out this person yeah yeah definitely. so I did a I did a lot of that at the start mm-hmm. um and I guess like doing things like con like everybody needs content right if you've got a blog or a mm-hmm. magazine or something and so it takes maybe an hour out of my day to do an interview and suddenly I you know that person gets something out of it like you yeah. you know you've got something interesting to promote to your fans and then I have something that I can share and point my fans to as well so I think always sort of you know saying yes to that sort of stuff seems really Mm. easy because I like talking about weaving and I like talking about business and growing a business and helping other female entrepreneurs and fiber sisterhood like getting us all to move forward like I feel like that's that's a really important thing. Being able yeah. to share how to grow your business is really good. And if somebody can learn from my story, um, even just one thing, then like hopefully that would, you know, put money back in female hands yeah, and definitely. that leads to power back in female hands. Absolutely. So, yeah, hopefully that, um, hopefully that could work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you, what is something that you love to do that has nothing to do with fiber? Nothing. <laughs> really? I mean, you probably people, have no time. But I, I laugh about this and I like I mention it all the time. I'm like people so often in an interview will say, so what's your hobby? And I'm like, what do you think my hobby is? What are you, like, um, yarn shopping? <laughs> this is what Sourcing I like to do. If I, had, right, if I had another three days in my life, I would right. weave I more. No one has the time, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I would do. I love it so much. It's the thing that makes me feel good. It's the thing that, like, I get this emotional response from other people. I get support yeah. from other people. I've said to Aaron, I will never cheat on you because what I get back from the like the sisterhood of weaving and the family of weaving, it is worth so much more than anything I could get out of an affair. It's like all of this emotional support that I. It's just it's so nurturing. Mm-hmm. Um, it truly is yeah. a beautiful thing, and especially when it's you a, go out and teach. Um, right. You know, it's it's funny. Like for me, I 
I still get really nervous before I have to teach. I don't know if you do. I was going to ask you. Um, no. no, not at all. Nothing. No, no butterflies. No, no nothing. Um, no, but not then from those, teaching. Yeah. But then those people that I end up teaching, I stay in touch with a lot of them. And right. actually, a couple of them have taken your classes, which I thought was so awesome that we have that crossover. But um, yeah. Um, yeah. But then you leave like so filled up. Right. You know, just because so those initially you get hours. energized by your students and mm-hmm. the relationships. And then if you're teaching for a full weekend, it's sort of like right at the end of the weekend, then you just like, and you need <laughs> yeah, like a yeah, burger yeah. and a chips and a yeah. massive glass of wine and yeah. then sleep. <laughs> yeah. And to just be by yourself for a while right. <laughs> or just with the family, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, no, definitely. So if teaching does not scare you, what does? Is, does, is there anything that you feel sort of um, fearful about? I think like when I travel, before I travel for teaching, like the thing that stresses me is like, what if bad things happen at home while I'm away and I'm not there to rescue everybody no. from whatever might happen? Yeah. Like it's like me not being there putting stress on other people. That's the thing that concerns me. Mm. Like when I'm traveling, like I just traveled for two weeks and it was things like, you know, I might have a little niggling about like, oh no, what if I miss this flight mm-hmm. or what if this doesn't work out? But like, Everything so that kind of anxiety, out. So like a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's mostly that idea of like thinking about people back home and like me following my dream. Is that putting anyone out? Mm. You know, am yeah. I affecting other people by by having this thing? You know, I guess that's right. a bit of mother's guilt, maybe. No, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking, yeah. I, I have the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But but there's no other way about it, really. Because if right. you're not fulfilled, they're not going to have a good. They're not going to have a happy mom, right? You know. And mom, Aaron said to me the day before I left, he could see that I was, you know, feeling feelings. And he said to me, Marianne, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Like the worst while you're away. And I was like, well, I guess you know something could happen. You have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night and wake wake up the other boys and and be there and and not have anybody to support you and. And Aaron said, well, yeah, that could happen. Right. It might happen. And if it does, we will handle it. Right. And we will be okay. And you not being there will not make any difference. Right. So just go. Everything will be okay. We will handle things here. And so, like, and he said, you know, having his support is, you know, really important. Um, And he sees how much I get out of my career and, um yeah he's like yeah he's he's all on board which is great great yeah yeah well it was interesting that you were saying that um because I was just listening to a podcast about anxiety and they were saying like one of the things that you can do is literally play out the worst case scenario in your head or like if you're in the middle of a panic spiral or whatever then choose the one thing that you think is causing that that panic focus on like one element one sentence pare it down to one sentence Take that sentence, take it to its worst case scenario, and then after you play the whole thing out and then go, okay, and then what happened? Did anyone die? If no one died, right. like it's all gonna right. be okay, you know? And then you right. can go, breathe breathe out. And even if know, somebody does die, it's not gonna make any difference you being there or not. Right. Right. Like something you know, even anyway. if that is the worst thing, right. you being there is not gonna stop that thing happening. And so you have to be okay with it. Yeah. Like yeah, just letting so let it slide. Yeah. Yeah, he's a smart guy. 
Aaron is a smart you, guy. You found a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know that you have lots of work to do. Um, yep. <clears throat> I guess a couple, just a couple more questions. Uh, when you're creating for yourself and not doing, you know, these commissions where you have to sort of repeat your work, uh, do yeah. you tend to pre-plan or do you go with the flow? I with do both. The ideas that you have, go go with the flow. More and more often, I do planning, mm -hmm. but I do I do both. I like I tend to go with the flow if I have new materials. Mm -hmm. If I've got mm -hmm. a new yarn or a different material that I'm trying out and I just want to see how it behaves and rather than having a preconceived idea about how it should look, I just allow the fibre or whatever it is that I'm using to sort of show me what it wants to do and then the next time I can sit down to plan, I know what that fibre wants to do mm. um, so I won't sort of push it where it doesn't want to be um, unless I'm actually looking for a tortured sort of look. Um, but I, right, my right. favorite thing to do, I actually teach a, um, a design class where I actually like give out notebooks and get people to reflect on an emotion. And we work on how to turn that emotion into a weave, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting. And that's my, like one of my favorite things to do is to notice when I'm feeling a strong emotion and to be able to sit down and, and draw shapes and figure out how to translate it. So that's, I mean, that's how all the doors and windows and tunnels kept coming up. Right. during that time yeah were you sketching you were sketching first yeah yeah, yeah. lots of sketching <laughs> oh, that's very cool yeah um, do you ever share because your you sketches yeah yep I take my books along every time I teach oh. but you can't be at your loom all the time like as much as we want to be at our loom 24 hours a day mm -hmm. seven days a week mm -hmm. you can't and so if you're away you can still have this connection to your artwork by carrying this little book with you and being able, being able to draw shapes and and sort of just sit in a, in emotion rather than, you know, pushing it to the side to be able to right. spend five minutes sitting in that emotion and sketching uh, can really help to get you to know yourself and then to be more intentional when you sit down at the loom. Right. Um, on that note of design, how do you think about and put together color colors? I know a lot right. of yours is like the full spectrum, but right but when you're not doing that <laughs> right uh so i think part of it a lot of it came from fashion when mm -hmm. putting colors together which colors went which colors didn't and i followed a lot of fashion and like i would buy magazines and um you know eventually like following blogs and stuff and actually just having my eyes completely open to the world and noticing what colors were coming up in nature what colors were coming up this season uh, like, you know, when they do colour of the year, Pantone colour of the year yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, just being aware of what's happening in colour, in fashion and in nature. Yeah. Um, but it was all, a lot of it was like it just felt like it sort of came naturally to me because I was interested in it and so mm. I was noticing which colours were harmonious together and which ones sort of really set each other off. And so it's sort of a lifetime of noticing Um but then when I started to look into colour theory, I noticed that colour theory actually supported all of the decisions that I was making. So I was learning them thinking, oh, I just have a natural affinity for colour. But mm -hmm. what I was actually learning was colour theory, mm -hmm. um, I guess, subversively. It's interesting uh, without... though, right, that there is colour right. theory and that it actually right. goes along with what we naturally gravitate right. towards that work together. You know, It's really interesting, right. like as humans, yeah. that, we're, that we have that. You know, right. this, like natural instinct for it. Um, right. 
Yeah, it's so cool. Um, let's see. Okay, so I'm just going to ask a couple random questions so we can kind of right. close it out. Um, do you ever shop from the ads off Facebook or Instagram? Never. Never? I was going to say, what's something silly you bought off it? <laughs> Never. Oh, you've got great Never. restraint. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a lot of ad blockers on. I oh. listen to a lot of podcasts and like on privacy and all of that sort of stuff. And I've and Aaron as well because he's interested in – He's you a know, program, nerd, yeah. nerd stuff yeah. um, is all about like privacy and ad blockers and, and it stops um, Facebook and Instagram actually seeing what you're searching for when you're doing your normal Google searches oh, and there's actually like I it blocks, yeah, blocks out the ads. So when I open Facebook, it's just like a blank screen where the ads are. Okay. But what about like the sponsored no posts? Ads that come up. Like the sponsored posts come through. Sponsored posts come up on Instagram. Yeah. But I don't know what it is. I sat side by side with Aaron and we scrolled and he gets so many more ads than me. I don't yeah. know whether it's because I'm on it more or whether I um, interact more or whether I post more or whatever it is. But for some reason, and I just have a, a normal account. I don't have a business you account. You don't have a business account. Oh. No. I was going to say because I, I don't get a lot of sponsored posts because I think it's because I have a business account. But sponsored posts on Facebook, I get all the time. And I, I end have up no. buying really stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> because they know what you want. Yeah. Because they're yeah, looking at your search history of no, everything else. They give me stuff that I haven't really I haven't looked at, like underwear or something. You know, like <laughs> underwear with no panty lines I recently bought. It's like, what? What am I doing? <laughs> Yeah, because oh my god, I can't, can't believe you'd want to show your panty line. Like how <laughs> I embarrassing! Know. I know. Like you're wearing underwear, dude. Atrocious. Atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, let's see. What is something weird about you that not a lot of people know? I don't know. I'm a rebel. Yeah, like, I didn't but I'm know a quiet that. I, rebel. Yeah, yeah. I think what it is is that I um. That, that was uh, a like surprise the, to me. Right. Being yeah. the youngest of six, it wasn't like I wanted to rebel against my parents. I just wanted to have fun. Yeah. And so I wanted have to an break identity. the rules. Yeah. Right. And so, but it's not part of like, I didn't want to be like, in your face, mum and dad. So I'm not that kind of rebel that's like anti-authoritarian. I'm more like, I just want to see how this works. Yeah. And let's see if this breaks here and let's see if what happens when I do this. So it's you more out of like curiosity. Right. Rather than actually being, yeah, like against, um, yeah, anti-authoritarian or right. like You're actually You're not an anarchist to... or anything. Well, no, no. I am a feminist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's almost like, like Aaron is probably closer to an anarchist. He's very much questioning all the time about why is it like this? Why is it, mm. it could be like this? Because he's a programmer and a designer. Right. He's always like, there's a better version of this, of, of this life. And he's always trying to figure out what the best version is. Whereas I'm pretty happy in my life. And I'm just sort of like, well, this would be f more fun if I could do this rather than like more efficient or more, right. you know, yeah. 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 Oh, cool. Um, okay. Last one. Uh, where is the best place you've ever traveled to? Wow. God, I've traveled so much and so many different parts of my life, yeah. I guess, different periods in my life. Um, I guess one of my favorites would have to be Japan. Um, Aaron took me to Japan before I had kids and taught me how to snowboard. Oh, cool. You learned how to and, snowboard in Japan? Yeah, they have incredible snow fields. 
That's so uh, cool. Basically what happens is every night it dumps and there's big thick snow snowfalls and then in the morning it's sunny and mm-hmm. it doesn't snow and then you ski all day and then at night you go inside and you drink in your, you know, and you go to the onsen and you drink and you eat delicious food God, and then in the morning fun. you wake up and it's fresh tracks. Wow. And so, did you yeah, take that to, was did probably – Did you take to snowboarding easily? How did you do No, no, no. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> I, I, my favourite thing is to be a, like the big fish on the, on the baby run. Oh. Like I like to be the best skinner yes. on the baby <laughs> run. <laughs> So I spent a lot of time, he'd go off and do his fancy, you know, diamond runs or whatever. And I would like just keep, keep going down, trying to do a little bit of the side to side. And yeah, yeah, but that was probably one of my favorite holidays. It was like early, early time in our relationship and him, uh, like he's such a great teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. You're a yeah. good match. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Marianne. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate you chatting with me. And I think like I've learned so much. I freaking love this conversation. So <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Cindy. I had a great time too. All right. Oh, and, and thanks there, oh, for listening, sorry. everybody. There, I know. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> um, wait, is there anything else other than your book that you wanted to promote, like, you know, that's coming up? No, I, I know, think like if people, that idea of my online classes, yeah. like if you are not where I teach, the fact that I'm online all the time, like you can just go to my website. It's super cheap. They're $25. You know, and normally That's when awesome. I teach, it's like $250 to $375 for an in-person class. So that idea that you can just go online and you can watch them as many times as you like forever. It, yeah. There's no, no end date. Um, so I guess like if you're interested like it's worth $25 to go and just like watch a class and see if that's what you want to actually invest your money and time in, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I have to, I should add you to my list of resources. Um, uh, also, you're coming back to the States in the fall. Am I making that up? I am coming back for XOXO Festival in Portland. Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking that I might um, teach, uh, I met some girls at some humans uh at squam <laughs> um squam and great, they, right? right and they are at um uh lake tahoe okay i think it is so i think what we're thinking about doing is possibly like flying into san francisco maybe teaching a class there maybe going out to lake tahoe teaching a class there and then up to portland oh, so aaron awesome. and i will be traveling together and like he's happy for me to teach a couple of classes so you know, this time I didn't get the the last tour when I just got back. I didn't get to go up to that area, so mm-hmm. it might be nice. And that will be yeah, September. Oh, awesome! All right, yeah. people in Portland and the northwest sort of vicinity, check it out. Right. So sign up for my newsletter if you um, are in that area, because that's where I will send out newsletters, and you'll get all the information there. Awesome. Thanks right. so much. And my oh. website is MarianneMoody.com. MarianneMoody.com. And on Instagram, Marianne Moody. At Marianne Moody. All right, guys. Thanks again, Marianne. Check the show notes of each episode to get the website and Instagram for each of the fiber artists I speak with. Be sure to give them a follow. And you can view video from this podcast on NaromaStudio.com slash the fiber artist podcast. If you enjoy the Fiber Artist Podcast, go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you for listening.